Man, it's so awesome to worship with you guys. Today we're going to start a brand new series called Spirit-Filled Fruit. And I took a long time trying to come up with that name. So I, I, was, I waffled back and forth on a few different names for this. But uh, some of you guys probably know where we're going with this series. But uh, Spirit-Filled Fruit. And to kind of put, set the stage for what I want to talk about today, I'm going to show a trailer from a movie that was popular a few years ago. Some of you guys will remember this movie. Others, I don't know if you caught it or not. Uh, but here, here it is. It kind of sets the stage for where we're going today. Let's watch. So, Riley, how was the first day of school? How do you guys remember that movie? Have you guys have seen that movie? Okay, some of you guys have. If you haven't seen the movie, basically it's a story of a girl named Riley who was uprooted from her, you know, her life in the Midwest. She moves out to San Francisco, and we get an inside look at what's happening on the inside of her, and that's that control panel with all of these different emotions of fear, sadness, disgust, anger, joy, and, and the, it shows this, this wrestling match over who's going to be at the control center. Now, we might call that, as believers, the soul. It's the mind, the will, and the emotions. It's kind of that inner life, and so as things start to, to go awry in the movie, her islands of her personality start crashing. That's this epic journey of joy trying to be in control of the control control center, and ultimately finding out that she doesn't have to be in control all the time. And so the question we want to wrestle with today is, as we look at, if we could just see an inner picture of our inner life, here's the question. What is fighting to be at the control center, the panel of your inner life, like right now? Like if you could just take an honest assessment of your inner life, your soul, your mind, your will, your emotions, your character, however you want to define that. What is at the control panel? Because we all have emotions, you know, like they represented in the movie. We've all experienced these different things. We experience fear at times and disgust and anger and sadness and joy. Some people say there are 27 different emotions you can experience. Some people say it's many more than that. But we all experience these emotions and, and things that are going on, and we might even call them character issues in our life or character or integrity or however you want to put it. The question is, what does the Bible say about this topic and in our inner life and what it produces? So let's go to Galatians chapter 5 and verse 16. It says this. We'll kind of get a run up at it. It says, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to another, to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. Have you ever been in that situation where it's like, I want to do the right thing, but I'm not doing the right thing. What's going on? Well, there's a battle on the inside that's, that's trying to take control of the control panel of your heart or of your life. It says, but if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. And he lists off all these things. This is Paul talking to the church in Galatia. It says, but the works of the flesh are evident. So if the flesh is at the control panel, here's what ends up happening. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, decisions, uh, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, these things are obviously sin, right? They're works of the flesh, but they're also, I would say, a product or 
they're the product of an unhealthy inner life. So they are the fruit of an unhealthy inner life or an unhealthy soul. These things that he listed are the fruit of the flesh or the fruit of an unhealthy inner life. And so the movie Inside Out suggests maybe there's a better way. And their suggestion is, well, you could upgrade the control panel. And so to take our cues from the movie, just to take a little bit of leap off of that, what does the Bible say? The Bible also says, maybe there's a better way. But what is the better way of Scripture? What is the better way of Jesus? Well, it is to upgrade the control panel. We will see that here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23. It says, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. Here's that process, that word sanctify. That you may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we, we've talked about this over and over and over again, but we are three-part being, triune being. Tri, you know, we have a spirit, a soul, and a body. Our body is what we're traveling around in. It will one day be glorified, and, and we're, we have our soul, which is that mind, will, and emotions, and then our spirit that came alive when we became alive in Christ. Now, in, what's missing in the movie Inside Out they had all of these emotions fighting for the control panel, but what's missing in the movie for us as believers is that there was no spirit man or spirit woman available to take control of the control panel. Because how you guys know, that might change the whole outcome, right? And so what was missing is the spirit man or the spirit woman, and the emotions are left to figure out what to do, and they're left to try to figure out how to be in control of life. And that's, you know, the the scripture has a lot to say about that. So the question that we're going to wrestle with is, what would it look like if the spirit man or the spirit woman on the inside of us were actually at the control panel of our life? What might our life look like? Another way to to look at that is to ask this question. What if we had spirit-filled emotions? What would it look like? Well, our, our spirit is perfect. We you know, what, what would happen is we would see spiritual growth and maturity happen in our soul, in our mind, our will, and emotions. And this is the picture that we start to lean into when we get to Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, and it starts to keep going. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit, we already talked about the fruit of the flesh or the fruit of, of our unhealthy inner life, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Now, the fruit of the Spirit are not emotions of the Spirit. But they are a product, I believe, that if our inner life gets healthy, if our inner life is filled with the Spirit, affected by the Spirit, if our emotions were filled with the Spirit or affected by the Spirit, what would be the fruit of that? It would be love. It would be joy. It would be peace. It would be patience, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. That would be the result or the fruit of a healthy inner life, right? But why doesn't this happen all at once? Have you ever wondered that? Like, hey, God, I want to be patient. I want to be joyful. I want to have these things happen. I want to put the spirit man at the control uh, of my inner life. Why doesn't it just all of a sudden you have all of these to its fullest once you're in Christ? Well, Paul gives us an example. He, he tells us why this is, and he tells us exactly how this works in our life. That word being sanctified. He's hinting at there's a process that happens. So who who does it? Does God do all of it? 
Do we do all of it? What is the process? How is this fruit manifested in our life? So I know you guys are tired of me taking you to my garden, but there is a beautiful illustration of what Paul's talking about that can be found there. So let's go there and let's listen. Jesus used metaphors and stories and parables to illustrate things of the kingdom all the time. And so did Paul. Paul used this example of the fruit of the spirit or a harvest of the spirit in our life, which I think is a perfect way to describe what happens in our life when the spirit is at work, because it is a lot of work to plant a garden. I mean, you have to till the soil, you have to prepare it, you have to plant the seeds, you have to, you know, dig the rows and, you know, all that stuff is work. been gone for a week and now in our tomatoes there's all these weeds that have grown up and we've got to weed the garden. I mean there's a ton of work that goes into a garden. This year I planted 11 rows of corn like 50 feet long, 11 rows of them. Guess how many came up? Three. Not three rows, three individual stalks of corn, which I am praying they survive just so I can have them. Because it, it's a lot of work, right? And uh, even when you are successful, a couple years ago, uh, I had all these rows of corn. It was beautiful. It was about ready for harvest time. I came out one time and I noticed that a third of the rows were just taken out. I figured out it was raccoons that were getting in and destroying it. And so one night I sat out here, I just had a little bit of corn left and I sat out here and I I sat out in a chair and I had a gun. I was gonna take these things out, these raccoons out. And man, it was hot, the sun was beating on me, the mosquitoes were coming in. Finally, I just gave up. I sat out here all until it was dark and went inside and guess what, I came out the next morning all the corn was gone, right? So even when you are successful, you still have to guard the fruit, which is again, another spiritual metaphor for what happens in our life. And so, uh, you know, all this is painting a picture of something that leads us up to this question, which I, I heard from Tim Mackey, which I think is an awesome way to illustrate this. But even after I grow this and I take this tomato inside one day here in a couple weeks and I have a fresh garden tomato, which is actually, by the way, one of the best things you can eat on the planet. Somebody say amen to that. Even when I take it inside, can I ask this question and and answer this question? Did I actually grow that tomato? And the answer is, No, I didn't grow the tomato. I did a lot of work, right? I mean, we can all agree, I did a lot of work. We did a lot of work. But I can't actually say that I grew that tomato. Why? Because there are factors outside of my control. I mean, the sun that's hitting me right now. I mean, the sun is 93 million miles away from the earth. I can't control the sun. I can't control the seasons. I can't, I mean, the, the sunlight and that heat that, that gets produced by that light, it has to travel at somewhat of like 186,000 miles per second to get here from the sun, about 8.5 or minutes old. I can't control any of that. I can't control the cloud cover. I can't control the seasons. I can't control the rain. I can't control the, you know, photosynthesis, that thing we learned about in school that these plants need to survive. And so I cannot, I can't grow this, right? But what can I do? What's my part? Well, I can hinder its growth. I can be a part of cultivating an environment for this fruit to grow, but I don't actually grow the fruit, which is a picture of what happens with the fruit of the Spirit. It's called the fruit of the Spirit for a reason. Watch Ephesians chapter four, 
Verse 25 starts off and illustrates this. It says, therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. See, these are all things that are fruits of the flesh, right, that he's talking about. And it says, and give no opportunity for the devil. Again, that's the picture of me guarding the fruit in my life. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such is good for building up as it fits the occasion and that it may give grace to those who are here. And then verse 30 says this important thing. It says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. See, we can't grow the fruit inside of us, but we can grieve the work of the Holy Spirit on the inside of us by not participating or not cultivating environment or not guarding the fruit that God is, is putting in us. And so we do have a part to play, but it is the Holy Spirit that produces the fruit in us. We cooperate with him to allow that fruit to grow in our lives. We got a picture of how that works, okay? Because you ever wondered, like, how does it work? It's the fruit of the Spirit. We do have a part to play, all right? Uh, my dad used to ask me this question when I was growing up, and it would confuse me, and it still is a strange question, but here's the question he would ask me, and he would ask all, all of us boys, he would say, how old do you want to be when you grow up? I would think about that, like, I don't even know what that means or how to answer that question, and so I'm going to ask you guys a strange question. And here's the question I want you to ponder. You might tilt your head just a little bit like I did with that other question, but here's the question. How old are you emotionally? See, you can be physiologically one age. I'm 44 years old. But emotionally, my emotional maturity could actually be a different age than my physical maturity. See, I, I, and so here's the question. How old are you emotionally? That's a scary question to start to dive into, isn't it? Because some of us might, we get into that, we're like, oh my gosh, I'm not very old emotionally, right? Because here, here's what can happen. Because here's what you got to understand. Emotions have an age. And even the individual, not even just as a whole, but even individual emotions that you have can be different ages than the other. See, I, I could be like 44 years old in one emotion, but yet as a five-year-old in my anger. Emotions have an age. So how old are you emotionally? And how old are your individual emotions? Uh, Pete Scazzaro, he wrote this book called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, and he says it very plainly, very simply, just states that it is not possible to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. See, I want you to think about the, the gifts of the Spirit in 1 Corinthians 12. They, these people were using spiritual gifts, and they thought they were spiritually mature, but Paul, you know, he brings a correction to them, and he says, hey, you're using spiritual gifts. You think you're spiritually immature, but you don't have the basics down of love, so it kind of cancels out what you think is spiritual maturity. Right, and and so he, he it's bringing this this very question uh, to the forefront because emotional health and spiritual maturity are connected. They really are inseparable. They grow together. If you grow in spiritual health, you will grow in emotional health. And I know we we kind of want to separate those two, right? We kind of want to separate them out. But watch Ephesians. Go back to Ephesians chapter four. I read some of it earlier, but we back up just a little bit. Verse 13, 
says, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. So listen to the language here. He's talking about growing up, right? To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children. Like that we're not, we're not immature is what he's saying. Like we, we've got to grow up. And we, we can't just be children but being tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. He's talking spiritually here, but it also applies to every area of our life. It says, by human cunning and by craftiness and deceitful schemes, rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to, here it is, to grow up. Everybody say, grow up. You know that we can grow up, right? He says, you can grow up. You can grow up. And it says, rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up. And listen to this. It says, in every way. So not just limited to one way, but there are multiple ways in every way. So just as emotions are individual, have individual ages to them, we'll also see that fruit, this fruit of the Spirit, that the fruit of the Spirit is actually one word, it's one fruit of the Spirit, but there are many aspects of that fruit. And so what happens is there, that as you grow in love, you will automatically grow in self-control or faithfulness or gentleness towards other people. You will automatically grow. It may not be at the same speed. If you grow in love, you will, it will, they're connected. They may not grow at the same, they may grow at different speeds, but they will grow together. And so it, it says that we may grow in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Obviously, there are many layers here being talked about in this scripture. We're going to focus on this area of fruit. And here's what I want to also mention. Just as emotions have an age, fruit has an age. So your love may be one age. Your self-control may be one age. And this is important for us to understand. Because have you ever wondered why some people seem so mature in one area, and then you have an encounter with them in a, in a certain area, and you wonder, what happened? Like you're shocked, right? Well, I can tell you what happened is they were so busy over here tending to one part of their garden, they've neglected to plant seeds in this part of the garden. They forgot to guard this area of their life. And even though things were growing and it was starting to grow overall, they were growing at different rates. And it's important for us to understand this. And, and here's the thing. You may be mature in one area and immature in another area. See, here's what we tend to do. We tend to measure our maturity by our strongest area. Have you ever done that before? It's like, well, I'm mature, and you think of the strongest area of your life, and you, think of, and you measure that by your maturity. Or conversely, what we'll do, if we're a negative-minded person, we will find the most immature part of us, and we will say, that's our maturity level, is the most immature part of us. But you can be mature and immature at the same time at different times in your life or different areas of your life. And it's important for us to acknowledge this because once we see this, we can start to grow in different areas of our life, right? So when we were first married, Becca and I, we, uh, I, I took one of those DISC tests. Have you ever taken one of those DISC tests? And the DISC test told me that I wasn't good at details, and so uh, Becca had went to college for math and calculus and all this type of stuff. So we went to, to start to do a budget together as married people, which, by the way, they say that's like one of the most friction points in a marriage, right? And it became a friction point for us because we were not speaking the same language. We were not seeing the same things. 
And so I thought, I'm not good at details. I'm just going to leave it all to her. And she, she was thinking different ways. We had friction. And so finally, I just decided, like, I'm going to get involved here. And all of a sudden, I realized that the disc test told me something that was wrong. I can get good at details. I started to grow in that area, and I realized that I actually am a very detailed person. I began to grow in that, right? And so what happened? I was starting to grow in my maturity in one area of my life. Does that mean I was mature in the marriage? No, (laughs) not at all, right? But in one area, I was growing, right? And so I could be immature and mature. And so the question is this, am I mature? And the answer is yes. Am I immature? Yes. Both are existing at the same time. They're just growing at different rates. Now, in leadership, as a pastor, I heard a long time ago, because I lead a a team of people, as you know, uh, ministry leaders and staff and, you know, hundreds of volunteers in this church over the years. And I heard a long time ago that in a ministry or in a church that Satan, well, I'll just put it up on the screen, that Satan will use the weakest emotional link highest up in the chain to destroy the work of God. So what he's looking for is he's looking, and it could be anywhere. It could be, it could be me. It could be some emotional area in my life. Or it could be somewhere in our leadership team. It could be somewhere in our volunteer. He'll look for the weakest emotional link to try to explain. The Bible says that he goes around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. So what he does, and I've seen this time and time again, he will find the weakest emotional link in somebody's life, highest up in the chain, in the ministry, in the church, or whatever, to try to exploit it and to destroy the work of God. Here's what I want to suggest, that he will do the same thing in your life that he will look and search for the weakest emotional link, highest up in influence in your life to try to destroy the work of God in you, in your family, in your relationships, in your calling. And so that's why the Bible says we have to be aware of the schemes of the devil. We have to be aware of what he's trying to do. And that's what he'll try to do. And so what's sad about this is that some of us, we've answered the question, how old are we emotionally or spiritually or with our character or however we want to say it, and we've recognized in our life a certain area of our life. It may be anger or depression or our joy level, whatever it is, right? We've answered the question, and maybe we're a five or a six or maybe we're a teenager in that area, and we've just decided that's probably where we're going to be. That's probably as far as I'm going to grow. That's probably as much work as God is going to do in me in my life, and I'm going to just settle at that level. And what we've unknowingly done, if emotional health or character or whatever is connected directly to our spiritual health, what we've, what we've unknowingly done is we put a cap and a lid on our spiritual growth. Is this, does anybody want to grow in this area? Because I don't want to stay the same, right? I want to be different. This time next year, I want, to be, I want to have those numbers, those ages. I want to grow up by this time next year, right, in all of these areas, right? To do that, we have to understand that. And so what, the question is, what is your emotional age or what is the fruit? What is the age of your fruit right now? And now here's another question, maybe a better question. How old do you want to be? And I know that's like, well, is 100 a good thing? Is, you know, I, but, but you get what I'm saying. It's like, do I want to be somewhere other than where I am now? How old do I want to be? How mature do I want to be? 
And of course, what we're going to do to answer that question is we're going to look at Scripture and we're going to say, what does Jesus look like? Well, that's where I want to be. And when we can look at Jesus, the author, the finisher of our faith, we can see that. Well, today we're going to start off, we're not going to spend much time on it, but we're going to talk briefly about the first one, which is love, the love of God. And each time I preach in this series, I'm going to have my wife come and help me preach on this. So give Becca a big hand as she talks about love. Yeah, so let's get really practical with, with this. So what does it look like when the Holy Spirit manifests the fruit of love in your life? If you were able to step outside yourself and analyze yourself, how do you know that you have spirit-filled love working through you? So in order to do that, of course, we have to go to 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, right, that you hear at many weddings. Before we do that, I want you to get in your mind like maybe the first time that you met like your best friend or, you know, um, a really good relationship maybe with a sibling or something like that. Or if you're married, you can go to this moment. Will you put up that picture, please? Yes. Okay, so that is 26 years ago in a couple weeks, and that is me and Sean and my sleeves in this picture. <laughs> Look at those sleeves. I think that was the first dress I tried on. I'm not a very dressy person. And I tried it on, and I'm like, well, it fits. And it's a wedding dress, so we'll go with that one. Anyway, kind of wish I hadn't picked the sleeves. But think about that. Think about that moment. And then we're going to go to 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 6. And just, you know, have that, that picture in your mind. And just look at this list. We don't necessarily have to read it all. But let's just be honest for a minute. Whether you are saved or not saved, these things are pretty evident, right? In that, those first moments, you're not rude to that person. You're thinking of the other person. You're kind. You're not behaving rudely. You're not puffed up, right? So you might look, you might step outside yourself and look and think, I'm showing love. I have the fruit of love in my life. But I want to challenge us to keep going here. Look at verse 7. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. This is a little tricky, and here, I think, is the key. I remember when I was reading this, and it just struck me, those things can only happen in difficult times, right? In adversity, in that relationship, in that friendship. You're not bearing something or enduring something that's good, right? You're not hoping or believing for something that's right in front of you. You're only hoping or believing if things are not so great, right? Are you guys with me? And so I think that if you can step outside yourself and you, you can ask yourself and be honest, am I really enduring? Am I hanging on? Am I believing the best? Am I believing for the best? Am I hoping for the best? And this is really hard. It's really hard, and it's, it's a different kind of hard when it's with your spouse than when it's with a friend, than when it's with maybe a sibling or a parent, but this is our litmus test, I think. This is when we can figure out if the Holy Spirit is working through us to produce that fruit of love. C.S. Lewis has this quote that says, to love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything, and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully around with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. 
But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It won't be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. To love is to be vulnerable. And this is hard to step into that place of vulnerability over and over and over again. And I wouldn't stand up here and be, have the audacity to suggest that you do that over and over and over again if I didn't know that we can't do this on our own. That's the whole point of it, right? If we could do it on our own, why do we even need the Holy Spirit? And so you step into this place. Guys, you step into this place, and the Holy Spirit will be right there producing this, this fruit of love in you. He will give you the power he will give you the passion. He will, give, he will provide the love. So it's like a, it's teamwork. You have to decide to not give up. You have to decide to open yourself up to be vulnerable. And God will come right in to provide the, um, the love that you need. And what I have found, because um, if we just talk about um, our marriage, for 26 years now, you know, um, I, I remember a time we went through a really hard time. And I was praying. I was on my knees before God. I was praying, and I just said, God, don't let me put a wall up. You know, I would rather continue to feel hurt and pain rather than put some kind of wall up to protect myself. And I was like, don't let me do it, even if it's just painful every single day. Don't let me become cold. Don't let me become hard-hearted. And uh, that's uh, brave to do that, but the Holy Spirit helps. It wasn't me. The Holy Spirit then helps, and it becomes easier because I, it doesn't become easier because of me, but it become, but I start to learn what it looks like for it to be me and the Holy Spirit taking steps together in that relationship, in that friendship. So as you do it, it will become easier. You will learn to um, know what it looks like to walk through that relationship hand in hand with the Holy Spirit, and that fruit of love will come out in your life. Why is it that Becca basically looks the same and I look like I've lived like three lifetimes of <laughs> drinking and, and whatever, you know? So, uh, but I, I do want to just kind of, as we come in for a landing here, as a leader and as a pastor, I, I don't have the luxury to just let whatever I think or feel at times with people just boom, come out all over the place. I don't have the luxury to let it all spill out all the time. Now, I'm not saying I'm perfect at that because I haven't been perfect at that, but I don't have the luxury. You know, there are times when I want to tell the whole story and just like, well, if you would just know everything that, you know, but I can't, I can't do that. Why? Because somebody has to be the kingdom representative in the room. Somebody has to be the kingdom of God representative in the room. And even if, you know, if I'm gossiped about or I can't tell the whole story or whatever it is, I've got to make a decision. I've got to be the kingdom representative in the room. Now, in the same way, I want you to understand that that just does not apply to me, that every single one of us are ambassadors of Christ. And so you have to be the kingdom representative in the room. What does it look like in this moment for the kingdom of God to be represented in this room, in this conversation, in this family, in this relationship, in this marriage? Somebody has to be the kingdom representative in the room. And that may look different at times. At times I have to protect, I have to guard, but what does God want in this moment? That's what I have to do as a pastor, but it's also what I just need to do as a person who's following after Jesus. You have to be the kingdom representative in the room. And that's why I said a few weeks ago that real 
spiritual growth manifests in real spiritual relationships, or in real relationships. Because they, if your spiritual growth, you, you claim to have spiritual growth, but it does not manifest in real relationships, I'm just gonna suggest it may not be the spiritual growth you think it is. And we'll talk about it later on in the series, but uh, that's not me talking. That's not my opinion. You know, in 1 John, it talks about, hey, if you say you love God, here's how you know you love God. You love other people. And if you don't love other people, you can't say with full integrity that you actually love God. What is it saying? It's connecting that if I can't get this right, I'm not right here. Again, we want to separate them, but it's impossible to separate. You cannot say that you love a God who you can't see when you don't love the brother or sister that you can see. That's connected. And that's why I said a few weeks ago that, that relationships are what keep our spiritual growth honest. If we want to be honest about what we say we're growing in, then relationships are going to bear the fruit of that. And that's the result of the fruit. The fruit of the Spirit is relational fruit, by the way. It all has to do with relationships. So how do we do this? What are we to do? Let me give you three quick things. Really, I'm not going to spend very much time on this at all because we've already kind of hit on them, but I want to package them in a way that rhymes just for your fun and enjoyment. All right, number one is this. Evaluate. Evaluate your emotional ages. Evaluate the age of your fruit right now. Whatever that is, you can evaluate your emotions. You can also evaluate the fruit of the Spirit that's listed, the different aspects, and be honest about it. Like, what, what are the areas or the desires that are going in your life and in your control panel that are actually for the flesh and not for the Spirit? Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 and 17, again, it says this, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. So let's evaluate. What are the desires of my heart? And what is the fruit of that in my relationships? What are flesh fruit and what are spirit fruit? And the desires of the spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you don't want to do. So evaluate. All right, let's keep going. Galatians chapter 5, verse 25. Skip down. So if we live by the spirit, let us also keep in step with the spirit. So number one is to evaluate. The second thing is to cultivate. So once you've evaluated, now we got to keep in step with the Spirit and let's cultivate the different areas of our spiritual garden, the inner life, that maybe needs some tending to. And you're gonna, it's going to be different for every person if you looked at it like a dashboard or different you know, graphs, you know, however you want to do that. Just kind of honestly take a look at that. Are there ways in my life that I am grieving the Holy Spirit's work? Are there areas in my life that I am not cultivating an environment for the fruit of the Spirit to come to being? Number three is to marinate in the things of God. John chapter 15, verse 4 and 5 says it this way. Abide in me, and here's that same metaphor used in a different way. Abide in me, and I in you. A worship team can come back as we read this final verse. It says, abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, Unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Can you see the cooperation that we have with God in this process? You know, if we don't stay connected with him and let him produce this fruit in our life and stay connected and evaluate and cultivate and marinate, then we, apart from him, will produce nothing. But if we can be connected with him, 
then we will bear much, much fruit. Amen. Let me just close up with this. Some of you guys will know that uh, two months ago to this day, I guess, uh, that we had something very special in our life happen that our grandson, our first grandson, Judah, was born. So I've got 27 pictures I'm going to show you. And just No, I'm not, I'm not going to do that this time. But uh, I was thinking about that this week, okay? So we have this baby. And listen, uh, we, we love Judah, right? I mean, obviously, we love Judah, and uh, we... We fight over who gets to hold him. We, you know, we, you know, he comes into the room, you've lost my attention, right? That's, that's how that works, right? But you think about this. Babies really don't do much except for poop and stink and, you know, <laughs> cause all kinds of uh, issues, clean up. They don't pay bills. They don't, you know, they don't do anything like that that might contribute. They just cost money and they just sit there most of the time, right? But I could tell you that Judah has been loved so much, right? Even before he was born, we were buying him gifts, showering him with love, singing to him, talking to him, talking about him, planning, putting rooms together, putting cribs together. All of this stuff, Judah is so loved. If anyone can be overloved, he's being overloved right now, okay? But I want you to understand, he doesn't have much to offer back right now. And in that, we see a picture of our relationship with God at times. Because here's what I want you to just to get a taste of. If it's possible for you to be overloved by God, it's happening. And by comparison, you can't really offer God that much. But I want you to know, this is the scripture and just everything I know about God, that even before you were born, he was planning. He's loving. Even as you're in the womb, he's been knitting things together and showering you with love. And my kids will never know how much I love them. They really won't. As much as I tell them, try to show them, they will never know how many times I pray for them, how many times I wake up in the middle of the night thinking about them and praying for them. My kids will never know that. In the same way, I want you to understand, you probably will never know the fullness of how much God loves you and how much God thinks about you. My, my daughter, Lindsay, a couple years ago, she drew a, a picture and it was like, I think it was me and, and her and it was like on our hunting trip or something because I took her hunting one time and and uh, it's little stick figures and stuff like that. And, you know, she's sitting back there. But it, it wasn't the best picture that had ever been drawn. But to me, it was priceless. To me, it was a work of art. Right? How many of you parents know what I'm talking about, right? Like, all of a sudden, this is a, we're hanging this up, right? She has no idea how much I loved that in the moment. And we have no idea how much God loves us and how much he treasured us. And just knowing that we have no idea, the fullness of it, should help us understand just a little bit, just knowing that should just help us know a little bit more about how much God loves us. And it's leading us all up to this, this one idea that I'm just gonna drop here and leave this for you on this topic of love. The more we see God's love for us, the more often we'll see God's love through us. And that's what it means to abide in his love. 
Because the more I can know that God loves me, even though I know I'll never fully know, but just this awareness that I don't have an idea, but I know he's probably thinking about me when I don't think that he is. And he's treasuring things about me that I didn't think were that great. That God loves me more than I will ever know. And just opening up my heart to that and abiding in that and meditating on that allows God's love to flow through me to other people. It flows, it, it, that's producing the fruit of love in me. And so what do we do? Let's take just a moment. Let's stand up and let's abide in his love just a little bit. Let's, let's soak it up and let's also enthrone him on our praise and worship him again and say, God, would you come and produce that fruit in me, the fruit of the love that you have for me? Help me produce that in other people and through me in Jesus' name.